Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Genre Equality Podcast on the Genre Equality channel. My name's Hitzir. I'm Aisa. Uh, and if you don't know, we are the only podcast in Singapore that's monthly covering all the sci-fi, uh, horror, supernatural, um, fantasy stuff uh, that's going on all around the world. Uh, and we recap all the titles from the previous month and that's what we are here to review. And it has been a quieter month than most, mm, you know. Yeah. Um, but there are some big titles here and there, uh, you know. Um, particularly with the debut of Demon Slayer's first feature film entitled Mugen Train. Uh, that will be our main, main topic. We'll also be talking about Brandon Cronenberg's... Uh, yeah, that's the son of, uh, of uh, David Cronenberg. Um, he has a new body horror film called Possessor out as well. We'll be discussing about that. Uh, plus, we'll be diving a little bit into Hulu's reboot of In- Animaniacs, uh, Amazon Prime's um, Truth Seekers, uh, created by Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, uh, HBO Max's uh, latest installment of Adventure Time Distant Lands, mm-hmm. uh, a hilarious body swap Blumhouse film called Freaky, uh, <laughs> and, and lots, lots more because um, Isa himself also is diving into the current, um, what is it, autumn season? Yeah, but it's autumn season of, of yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, the the best of anime is autumn season, which includes you know Jujutsu Kaisen, which I know is is a big deal out there. It's getting a lot of hype, <laughs> uh, and and plus a lot of other shows. Um, I will be eulogizing um the the end of a CW's fifteen season long Supernatural. Ooh. Um, it's been a hell of a run, a bit of an end of an era. Uh, I've not kept up with all of it, but I was a fan, and I'm still kind of a fan. I, ke- I keep up here and there. But I would like to talk about uh, a little bit like towards the end, um, the, the legacy and impact of Supernatural, which mm-hmm. is quite significant uh, in terms of like, you know, the CW and, and um, the genre world at large, because a significant slice of fandom is, uh, uh, is, is from Supernatural. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll be talking about that right at the end. But let's begin with uh, Demon Slayer Mugen Train, which is, uh, of course, you know, based on the immensely popular manga and anime series of, uh, of the same name, Demon Slayer. Uh, it gets its first feature-length um, film entitled Mugen Train. Mm-hmm. Uh, it follows uh, Tanjiri Kamado and his friends from the Demon Slayer Corps as they accompany um, Kyojuro Rengoku, the Flame Hashira, uh, to investigate a mysterious series of disappearances occurring inside a train. Uh, little did they know, uh, the demon Enmu, uh, the last of the lower moon demons and uh, of the 12th uh, Kizuki, is also on board and has prepared a trap for them. Um, now, it will be a bit of an understatement to say that this movie had a lot of hype going into it as oh, evidenced yeah. by its record-breaking box office. Um, this film single-handedly saved um, the Japanese box office in a COVID year uh, with its um, you know, blockbuster sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, you know, um, sales aside, hype aside, our love for the series aside and the manga, you know, um, did it live up to the expectation, expectations, or was the hype dream, um, pardon the pun, uh, derailed? Um, <laughs> what What do you think about Demon Slayer: Mugen Train? I mean, it was a good movie. Uh, I mm. think that of of the modern big tree that we have right now right um that people are arguing for um in in the anime world which will ov- obviously includes my hero academia mm. uh to some extent black clover and and of course demon slayer i think demon slayer is definitely the most recent one uh yeah. and i don't know if it's quite found its feet as far as the franchise goes for movies right mm. so like well, it's- Still the first movie. Yeah, it's still the first movie. So uh, it, it may get better. Like, it's a good movie. Uh, but there were some things that were kind of lacking that I, I really enjoyed from the series that that didn't quite translate, you know? Mm-hmm. 
the hype was real. Like people were hyping this up like crazy going into the whole thing, you know, with like a, a immense like 15 minute fight scene and some people claiming that, you know, it's the probably the best fight scene. Um, yes. Anime fight scene of the year, which is a huge claim. Mm. Given that the My Hero Academia one um, in January was also being hyped as the best fight scene of the year. So we'll kind of dive into the nitty gritty of that. Uh, but for me, I think like what Mugen Train suffers from is pacing, largely. Mm. Um, it feels a lot more, like we discussed after we were done with the movie, it feels a lot more like a, an extended three episodes. Not even like four like compact episodes, but an extended three episodes. Uh, with an arc that plays out over those four episodes, but is limited by cinema time limit. Okay. Right? So, like, what we would have gotten over four episodes is shrunk down, you know, into the... What's the runtime again? Two hours? One hour 45-ish? Yeah. So, just like... So, 117 minutes, just under two hours, right? Which is yeah. fairly long um, for, a, for an anime movie. Hmm. Um, yeah, but we didn't quite get all the things that I wanted to get I think um, it was kind of all over the place especially the final third of it mm. uh, where we kind of get <laughs> we kind of get some uh, you know this whole like power level pegging thing that we need to kind of set up to continue the anime series yep. uh, but doesn't really make sense within the context of the movie uh, did you find yeah. that to be the same for you? yeah yeah I mean I, I was personally a bit underwhelmed Um but yeah, like, like you mentioned, first off, I felt that this could have worked as a three or four episode arc, you know, but like as a film structure, um, pacing was a bit disastrous. Yeah. Uh, it's first, second and third acts um, really didn't flow together. And, and what happens in a climax, uh, clearly not set up at all in the film. Yeah. Um, it's, it's as if the movie ended and, and we just went to the next episode. <laughs> um, but the story itself is not, I guess, hugely innovative beyond hitting all the C, all, all the notes that should satisfy fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. yeah. um, it attempts to hit like, uh, the pathos and, and character complexity of the series with some interesting dream sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they fell, fell flat emotionally for me because they were too broad. Yeah. Um, the villain was uninteresting as a as a person, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and as someone who, who gives, like, I mean, frankly, I, I give no shits about power level whatsoever. Yeah. Um, so, so the, I found that things that I look for, you know, things like characterization and motivation and personality uh, were non-existent for the film's antagonists. Yep. Uh, so, like, and, and finally, in terms of animation, I've, I've seen UFO Table do better. I agree. I uh, so I was not as impressed as many people were, not not because it wasn't impressive, but because I've seen UFO Table do better. Lah. So in the context of their work, mm-hmm. this was okay. I mean, it was good, but it was not. It was serviceable. Lah. Yeah, uh, nothing special. Um, undeniably entertaining though. So if you're looking for like you know pure dumb silly popcorn <laughs> popcorn fun with with familiar characters, you know I think Morgan Train should do it for you. Yeah, I, if you're a big fan of Demon Slayer, right? There's no reason not to watch it. You know, like there's it really does doesn't take away from the series. It doesn't add anything to the series. It's kind of like in in a strange neutral place. Yeah. Um, I, I think the the decision to go for a movie is is a little sad. Um. Because for me, one of the biggest strengths of Demon Slayer thus far is the fact that they always manage to humanize um, the villains by giving yeah. us an appropriate backstory, right? In this particular yeah. case, our our supposedly main villain gets Jack. 
uh, we don't get mm. anything from him. We don't know where he's from. We don't know what his motivations are. None whatsoever, right? In order to make mm-hmm. space for the dream sequences that you've just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm wondering if um, I'm wondering if it had been episodic, right? If this had been like a small kind of like mini series on its own instead, would we have gotten that? You know, or mm. was that planned for? I mean, I didn't read this particular arc within the manga itself, so I can't say for sure if it was something that could have been adapted that wasn't. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, and like, I would have very much rather not give me the epic fight scene and tell me a bit more about the villain they're facing, right? Because I think that's an integral part of the storytelling of Demon Slayer. Yeah. In general. Also, like, uh, yeah, it, it really annoys me. Uh, I'm Okay. So, My Hero Academia's movies, right, have been problematic because a lot of them have no stakes. Of course, yeah. Because you already know, right, that the kids are going to be fine, they're going to grow up and all of that. So they have no stakes, which gives the creators a fair bit of leeway to do, like, ridiculous things, right? Like, you've got plot armor to no end. Mm. My main problem with Mugen Train is that it does not add anything to any of the major characters. The only person that we see having any sort of character development uh, in, in air quotes is, is Flame Hashira, right? Yeah. But even then, we don't get that much, you know. And I was interested in his backstory. I was interested in his family life and all of that, sure. But what a waste of a good character mm. to be killed off in the movie because we don't actually see any of him prior to the movie uh, in the series yeah. itself. Right, yeah. and like I think that's not a worthwhile sacrifice in terms of how the story goes. Right, you want to raise the stakes, sure. You want to raise the power levels of everyone, sure. You want to make it even more dire so people get hyped about the next scene of Demon Slayer and see what Tanjiro and the rest of them can do, mm. sure. But sh- does it really need to be here in this movie per se? Yeah. Right. Like the moment the the moment the movie gets off the train, right. I felt the movie should have just ended there. And I would have been, I would have been decently satisfied instead of like mm. utterly confused with what they're trying to do. Mm. Yeah, so. Same, yeah, yeah. I, I, the, like I mentioned, the, the ending sort of came out of nowhere. Um, I don't understand, I mean, I understand what happened in the ending, I don't get me wrong, because it was simple. Yeah. I just don't understand why it was there. Um, I, it was just I, I felt it was just poorly written like, as a movie like, it yep. doesn't work as a movie yep. Um, and I feel like this was just like a hastily cobbled together 3-4 episodes that were just edited together to make a movie mm-hmm. Um, and that for that reason alone I don't feel like the movie works uh, with, your, with regards to My Hero Academia what you're talking about the lack of stakes right if you actually think about it the series also suffers from a lack of stakes because it is told in flashback form yep. you already know that Midoriya uh, becomes the greatest hero, etc., etc. Right? This yep. is this is his, him retelling the story. Yet, my hero academia achieves tension and stakes and character development too. Yep. So that is no excuse to not actually do a good story. You know, oh, yeah, a good story yeah. can, can can still suck you in despite the fact that you know the ending. Yeah, I mean, what the difference here is is not so much that there's 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 no stakes but good tension for um Boku. My Hero mm. Academia, right? Yeah. My point is that Demon Slayer has no stakes and has no tension. And it adds, yeah. it adds nothing to the series except moves the plot forward, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. like, they get one more mission. They get one more demon out of the way. They meet a new mm-hmm. demon. That's it, yeah. right? Like, yeah. that. It like f- for all the fanfare around the movie itself, it doesn't progress the story as much as I think it should. 
right? Yeah. Uh, whereas, at very least, um, Heroes Rising that we got at the beginning of the year, at very least, that fills in a big portion of the My Hero universe or the My Hero mm-hmm. story a bit far into the future. Mm. Uh, a bit far into the future, yeah. Um, yeah. And and that in and of itself feels satisfying, right? Like at the end of the day, we are very invested in these long form anime series, uh, anime stories, you know. And I think like as an audience, we should be able to get that kind of like satisfaction of uh, a return on our investment, you know. This is more similar to the first My Hero movie, Two Heroes. Yeah. Uh, in which part? In which you know it takes place at a nondescript time, so we know like it doesn't really matter. It's of no consequence. It's just a, a side mission. Yeah. Thing. You know, well, it it is what it is. Uh. I I did find it entertaining. Yeah, just sure. a little underwhelmed because I I don't understand what the what the hype was about after watching it. Uh. I agree. I agree. Yeah. So uh, how would you rate this film? Uh, I'll give it a six out of ten. Okay. Right. I I still think it's very beautiful. Uh, I mean, like the the, the kind of the scenes on the train and stuff like that. Like there were portions of the time where the animation was really kind of uneven. Like going yeah. with the whole with the whole like flesh train thing not the first time it's been done not very interesting not very visually stimulating yeah uh, but then again i i would imagine that a lot of their time and effort and money was spent on the last fight i agree yeah yeah, yeah i agree um i i would similarly rate this a six out of ten um a perfectly decent serviceable entertaining film but nothing more mm, yeah i agree Agreed. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, let's move on to uh, the second film that we'll be talking about on genre equality. It is called Possessor. Um, David Cronenberg's son, uh, who, by the way, was on the latest episode of um, Star Trek Discovery, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Brendan Cronenberg tries, or, or does he, uh, live up to his father's body horror <sighs> legacy with his gory and ghastly new sci-fi film. Um, it is set in a cold world that blends... Um, futuristic tech with vintage aesthetic. Um, Possessor is the story of a woman who gets into people's heads, uh, literally. Uh, it is Tanya Voss, played by Andrea Riceboro, uh, who is a contract killer, but she doesn't operate in a normal fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, she technically never kills anyone at all. Instead, she works for a company that has found a way to implant Voss's consciousness into others. Uh, once hired for a job, she inhabits uh, a subject's body, then commits murder for hire uh, and then makes an easy escape by forcing the subject to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect crime and Voss sort of has it down to a science. Uh, Voss is sort of uh, thought of as, as the best agent in the business, but she's showing signs of instability. Uh, her murders have become notably, notably more savage and she still longs for some semblance of a normal life with her estranged husband and child. Uh, Nevertheless, she accepts a, a new assignment requiring her to inhabit the body of uh, Colin, who is played by Christopher Abbott, uh, a young man about to marry into a wealthy family. Um, what did you think of uh, Possessor? I was really taken by the opening sequence. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, excellent, excellent kind of first introduction to that. Uh, and then after that, for some reason, the whole film felt very muted to me. Mm. Uh, for, for some reason, right? And I'm not sure if it's the performances itself. I think a lot of it actually had to do with the fact that the, the film score is fairly one note, quite literally, mm. uh, you know, throughout the thing. It's beautifully shot, mm-hmm. but I don't think Brandon Cronenberg is doing anything groundbreaking or new or even close to the level of what his father has done, right? Yep. At no point in time did any of the body horror creep me out or get under my skin or even make me go like, whoa, that's something I haven't seen before, 
you know mm-hmm. it's an interesting premise mm-hmm. uh, but it's not a, a premise that hasn't been done before right mm-hmm. the whole body snatchers idea uh, I just don't think it was fully realized mm. uh, on the whole right like I, I, I mean most of the time when I'm doing horror or doing like especially body horror stuff right I, I really mm-hmm. tend to be very focused on like kind of what's going on Mm. I was drifting like a lot during this film. It took a fair bit for me to concentrate on what was going on. Mm-hmm. Just because there were just a lot of these lulls, uh, mm. both in the action and in the dialogue and even in the kind of like visual flow of it that just lost me, you know. I, I found myself like thinking about other stuff. Um, yeah, so all in all, like I think it's a very pretty film, right? Mm. For something that's supposed to be body horror. Does it lift it, it, up to the Cronenberg legacy? Mm, unfortunately, mm. I think it's a it's a valiant attempt, but nothing more than that. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Possessor is, uh, I mean, obviously not uh, analogous, but somewhat similar to Hannibal in that it's too pretty to be to be gory. Yeah. Um, it is bathed in you know a lot of blood and quote unquote gore and neon lighting, but it's filmed so beautifully you know that you're you're more attracted to it than than repulsed by it yeah um ideologically i thought the film was interesting it's about you know um extinguishing humanity and embracing savagery the the, the philosophy is of you know um cutting ties with the things that make you human and reverting back to the primal predator within yeah um so the depiction of you know the the permeability of flesh the malleability of identity and the danger of losing yourself in another psyche uh, is visceral and and done well in in kind of an ultra violent fashion, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time also you know like, like you said nothing new you know I mean Black Mirror and uh, th- tons of other identity or consciousness swapping um, tales have done this la. Yeah. Um, I I think Riceboro uh, is built as a star, um, and she's good as Voss, you know, the the killer struggling against the, uh against her nature. Yeah. Uh, but the secret star of the film is actually Christopher Abbott because we see more of him, you know, front and center. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of a tricky performance that requires the actor to be both his own character and Riceboro's character inhabiting mm-hmm. his body. Yeah. Um, so you know, Abbott is at first cool and collected before descending into like this this um sweaty, desperate, uh, panic. Uh, um, I think the performances were good, but not great. Yeah. Uh, and the, particularly what I do feel was special was um, the practical uh, makeup effects and 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 practical effects were, were quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, it is is very precisely calibrated. Um, to to try to be disgusting, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like in the end, like it's it's kind of this neon soaked hallucinogenic hallucinogenic trip that that lacks action per se. Uh, but but perhaps you know if 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 it hits you the 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 nauseous mood will stick with you lah. Um, it just didn't with me, but I was intrigued by the premise and yeah. the idea behind it lah. Uh, you know the the nihilist spectacle and the and the idea of emotional dislocation, which are themes uh, I'm drawn to. But perhaps I've seen it done better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of exactly it, right? Like maybe not all the facets together in this particular way. You know, mm-hmm. but it's been like all bits and pieces of it have been done better elsewhere. You know, yeah. um, yeah. So all in all, like it's not, um, it's a it's an interesting <laughs> watch. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's really pretty, but like outside of that, mm. yeah. Um, so I'm rating this a six point five out of ten. Uh, it's a six for me. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I I enjoyed it a bit more than Mugen Train, which is why you know like I picked it up a bit, <laughs> but um, it's not. 
super uh, important for you to watch this. Uh, yeah. But it is uh, again uh, an entertaining watch, and 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 perhaps you know, um, Brandon Cronenberg still a very young filmmaker mm, with, a, with a lot with a, yeah, an immense shadow to get out of. So perhaps like you know, if he's given um, a chance to fully mature, you know, um, maybe in his subsequent films he'll begin to find his footing lah. But uh, right now he's still a baby filmmaker, and this is a decent effort from him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what he has five films under his belt so far true you yeah, know so yeah. like I, I think it shows promise right um mm. so we'll see we'll see there might be good things from him in the future yep um and next up i'm gonna quickly dive into a section i like to call quick hits where i talk about the various films and tv shows and other things that uh, my co-host may not have had the chance to watch yep. uh so yeah i'm gonna be reviewing a couple of big uh, titles and some smaller ones the first one i like to talk about is uh, Hulu's reboot of Animaniacs. Uh, you know, um, 22 years after it went off the air, um, Steven Spielberg's uh, irreverent meta and clever animated sketch comedy show uh, returns at Hulu. Uh, this new version smartly brings back the original voice actors, Rob Paulson, uh, Jess Harnell, and uh, Tress McKenneal uh, as, as Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, mm-hmm. uh, with Paulson also doing double duty as a pinky uh, opposite <laughs> the, the return of uh, Maurice LaMarche as Brain, uh, plus a few members of the old show's crew. Yep. Uh, but sadly, um, nearly all the other characters are gone, you know, from Slappy and Skippy uh, to the Warner's regular nemesis, the exasperated studio psychiatrist, Dr. Otto. Um, so I guess, how does this new version hold up? Um, unfortunately, it's not as zany as as it once was, mm-hmm. or as the as the theme song implies. Um, <laughs> it there's there's something missing with these new sketches. Um, contemporary America and current pop culture has so much to satirize and mock that you'd assume that an animaniacs crew would have you know an infinite amount of jokes to make from it you know so um they they do make jokes you know from everything from gun control to the very concept of reboots um animaniacs to their credit is unafraid to tackle the controversial topics, you know, even yep. making fun of itself. Um, even though uh, it was a, sh- it is and was a show that is ostensibly made for kids. Uh, um, at its best, you know, back in the day, it's silly enough for kids and witty enough for adults. Uh, this new version, damn, it, it tries uh, but but it, but it falls quite flat. You know, um, the major reason is that I feel, uh, the the show's original creator Tom Rugger and his team of writers were not invited back for this one. Um, according to an interview that Rucker gave, uh, quote-unquote, uh, they had decided to make the show, and by the time I even heard about it, they had a showrunner and a staff. Wow. Uh, so when his, <laughs> when his agent uh, reached out to the new creative team, suggesting that they involve Rucker in the process, you know, maybe as a consultant, maybe as a staff writer yep. even, um, they declined. Uh, they, they said, uh, thanks, but we got this. Um, the new showrunner is a family guy, writer-producer, uh, Wesley Wild, and and if you kind of know my disdain uh, for Family Guy and and its uh, decided decidedly witless brand of bro humor um, <laughs> that that mistakes references for comedy, um, you can already tell that I wasn't going to enjoy this. So so I didn't. Um, this is a four point five out of ten for me. That's sad, man. I mean, like yeah. Animaniacs is kind of okay. Why is Animaniacs kind of like ancestral in our mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as something that's like so funny when you know we were kids back then you know and of course yeah. like further watching later on you know like the the prince joke is still one of my favorite mm-hmm. uh, to have discovered like much later on mm. um, 
but yeah, like how why why do you think it is that uh Animaniacs has been so important to a lot of people in our generation in particular? Primarily because it was good. Uh. It, 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 it's like The Simpsons where it can entertain kids and entertain the adults at the same time. It had the nice, um, almost perfect balance of kiddie humor and adult humor yeah. uh, and insights into contemporary pop culture at the time in the 90s, you know, making fun of all sorts of things in, in ways that were uh, not just funny and not, but also insightful. Um, this particular version is more of... Um, they try to do the same thing. Yep. They tackle the same topics and all of that. Or they, they try to tackle the big topics at least. But doesn't have the same brains behind it. Uh-huh. Doesn't have the same you know sharpness and wit. Doesn't have the same uh, voracious mind that can deconstruct and dissect such issues and make comedy from it. You know, yep. it's it's a Family Guy. It's Family Guy, you know. So it's just they just reskin Family Guy with Animaniacs. I mean, <clears throat> not particularly. They try. They it is still Animaniacs. They try to do it Animaniacs style, but it just comes across as like this the same amount of wit that you would find in Family Guy, like. Ah, okay. okay. Yeah. It, it, in the same way that Family Guy would never broached the genius of The Simpsons, just because you know it it never could. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> this writer couldn't broach the genius of Animaniacs. Uh, just they they just can't. Uh, you know, it's it's sad. Uh, unfortunately, I, I was super looking forward to it. One of the few reboots of the year that that I was expecting to enjoy and really wanted to enjoy but unfortunately I just couldn't uh-huh. uh, and this coming from a big fan of Animaniacs yeah, yeah. anyways I'm going to be moving on to Amazon Prime Videos Truth Seekers mm-hmm. um, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost uh, team up yet again for this show uh, this Amazon series is a supernatural comedy about a group of part-time paranormal investigators who team up to uncover and film ghost sightings across the UK. Uh, they share their adventures on an online YouTube channel for, the, for everyone to see. Um, so given the names involved, you know, if you remember Shaun of the Dead uh, and Hot Fuzz and The End of the World, etc., uh-huh. uh, you, you'd assume the comedy would be uh, goofy, quirky, and filled with British wit. Uh, and yes, in, indeed it is. You know, the ensemble is very memorable. But what is surprising and very unlike other horror comedies, you know, like say What We Do in the Shadows and you know, the, the tons of horror comedies out there, right? Yep. It's quite a popular genre. Mm-hmm. The thing that surprised me is that True Seekers is also more than funny, genuinely scary. Really? Um, it has some terrific horror set pieces up, up its sleeves uh, alongside a very good comedy. Um, the investigations lead ghost the investigations that lead to the ghost stories, right, are, are tragic and poignant and startling and violent. Um, the show is is filled with warmth and wit and, and giggles, but can also be shockingly emotional and frightening when it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the first half of the eight-episode season leans towards the procedural, supernatural case of the week style, and, and, and really works. Uh, the second half uh, opens up the story into more of a complex and serialized thing, uh, especially when the show reveals that its mysteries have been leading up to uh, a big bad villain behind a huge conspiracy uh, that involves a mad scientist who've been experimenting on how to transfer souls uh, and an ancient satanic book of magic. Um, I must say that I prefer the first half over the second half, okay. but but both sides are, are quite funny and feature some of uh, some of the cleverest British humor I've seen in a while. <laughs> um, the, the camaraderie between the ensemble is actually quite endearing. You know, um, part of something that makes this work is that you have to like and want to watch the crew uh, get together and solve mysteries, and and they are really endearing. Uh, the chemistry carries the show, so I enjoyed this very much. Um, yeah, like it's. 
it's nothing special. There's no depth or weight to it, but it's a very entertaining watch. More, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like more more in the in the vein of like um a Wellington Paranormal that kind of endearingness. <laughs> but okay. but if Wellington Paranormal was actually scary, okay. Um, so I'll give this a seven point five out of ten. All right, cool. I'm I'm definitely gonna check that out. Yeah. Um. Similarly, uh-huh. there is a new show from from Netflix coming all the way from Egypt called Paranormal. Uh, and it's based on a series of supernatural novels by Ahmed Khalid Taufik. Uh, Paranormal is basically Egyptian uh, Egyptian truth seekers because it also follows um, a ghost hunter and it's also a supernatural comedy. Um, it follows um, a bitter middle-aged professor named uh, Rafaat Ismail who, who just seems to have the worst luck. Um, he is evidence that uh, Murphy's Law exists and he is so cranky about it. Uh, plus, he sees ghosts. Um, the one thing that immediately drew me uh, is this lead character and his um, acerbic use of sarcasm. Mm-hmm. Uh, imagine if if Dr. House was a paranormal investigator and, and you kind of get the picture. Yeah. Um, I expected paranormal to be like a haunting story, but but really it's more of an Arabic version of supernatural set within the 1950s and the 1980s. Um, and if you if you replace like the, the two handsome leads with uh, a balding set sack uh, Arabian man in a grey suit and tie, you get paranormal. Uh. <laughs> um, the the big thing I didn't expect from Paranormal is is the show's dark sense of humor. You know, like Rafat is hilarious. He carries the show. Um, the structure of the series is very Ghost of the Week, uh, similar to Truth Seekers and Supernatural mm-hmm. and X Files, uh, alongside with an underlying continuing story about Rafat's gift, uh, his mystery, and his relationship with a uh, love interest uh, Maggie, who also investigates the mysteries with him. Uh. So he has a crew. He has a, a long uh, a long running mystery that ties together all the individual episodes. So it's uh, very similar to True Seekers. Uh-huh. Uh, definitely give this this a watch. You know, it's not the greatest ghost hunting show ever, but it's just as entertaining as True Seekers. So I'm giving it a seven out of ten. Damn. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So there's kind of yeah. like two two shows, good shows in the same vein. Yeah. Uh, two comedy ghost hunting shows. One on Amazon. One on Netflix. Uh, very much in the same vein. So yeah, go check it out. Uh, next up, I'll be talking about uh, Adventureland's Distant Land. Uh, Adventureland's right? Adventure Time, Distant <laughs> Lands. Um, it is. Uh, you know, it's one of to to me in my opinion, like, You know, uh, Adventure Time is uh, one of the greatest, if not the greatest, animated show uh, out there. You know, and and. It, it returned for a new mini-series of four-hour-long specials entitled Distant Lands. Uh, this is a quarterly mini-series, and, and if you recall, uh, last June, I reviewed its first entry centered around BMO, uh, which I adored. Uh, this month, episode two is out, and it's called Obsidian. Um, best of all, um, it focuses on fan-favorite couple Marceline the Vampire Queen and Princess Bubblegum, or, or, or Bubbleine if you're one of the shippers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the special uh, finds the pair uh, meditating on the tumultuous relationship as they team up to defeat an old enemy, uh, a fire-breathing dragon from the Glass Kingdom. Uh, while the perfectly pleasant BMO episode had fun with a character whose appeal was simply his cuteness, um, Obsidian dials in on one of the most complex relationships in the original show's entire eight-year run. Mm-hmm. Um, after their kiss in the series finale, Obsidian uh, homes in on what it's like for, 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 
for the two of them to live a happy ever after like what 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 would their life look like you know yeah. getting together hasn't automatically removed the personality differences that kept PB and Marcy at arm's length for much of the show's run uh, and and although the the shots we get of their of their life together in domestic domestic bliss are sweet chill and they're satisfying um, Bubblegum is still somewhat of a tunnel vision control freak and Marceline still has uh, problems being vulnerable or exposing herself emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, getting to the root of Marceline's issues uh, is what makes this much more of a Marceline special than a Marceline and Bubblegum special. So this is more of a Marceline-centric um, episode. Oh, okay. uh, and, 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 and voice actress uh, Olivia Olsen, once again, uh, does a great job catching capturing every angle of the character, you know, from the punk rock princess to the wounded crooner uh, in, in both uh, speech and song. Um, along the way, we get plenty of the usual lovely Adventure Time touches. We've um, see True Princess, who is the princess of Glass Kingdom. Um, it's, it's so goofy and, and what a great new character. And everyone in the Glass Kingdom is, is, is really, really goofy. Yeah. Um, and, and it wins its place in the pantheon of weirdo <laughs> civilizations. Uh, the story itself taps all the right beats, even if it puts less emphasis on silly humor than Adventure Time usually does, and more of the on more on the emotional payoff, payoff and the emotional complexity. Yeah. Um, the series' uh, typically an excellent approach to music is at its peak here. This is uh, Adventure Time music at its best. Uh, the songs are just as good as ever, including an absolutely brutal ballad that features heavily in the flashbacks, um, showing how the Glass Kingdom. Uh, and its issues led to Marceline and PB uh, breaking up in the first place um, and, and uh, a moment that takes place before the Adventure Time show begins mm-hmm. uh, and we've always been wondering about how they broke up the first time <laughs> uh, so we finally find out that um, and, and, and the emotional payoff I mentioned is sublime uh, unlike the simpler BMO uh, episode uh, Marceline has one of the most emotionally resident stories across the entire run of Adventure Time uh, tied with and to the Ice King so uh, Obsidian flits uh, back and forth across her centuries spanning existence uh, filling, mm-hmm. filling in a few key gaps that help explain uh, the breathy aggressive punk rocker we met nearly uh, a decade ago but critically in having uncovered the roots of much of her pain, uh, the special resists the urge to quote-unquote fix her uh, and rejects the idea that she was ever broken in the first place. Uh, the finale uh, episode Come Away With Me gave Marceline a happy ending and a well-earned one at that, but Obsidian satisfies by showing how she and PB are going to have to work hard to keep that happy ending, uh, which is the perfect way to to display you know what happens after the final kiss of the show. Like. It's not always gonna be smooth sailing. Uh, so yeah, this is a great uh, episode of Adventure Time. Mm-hmm. Forty five minutes, uh, better than the BMO episode. Even it's a nine out of ten for me. Damn. Uh, yeah, um, highly recommended for if, if you're an Adventure fan, of course. Uh, Adventure Time fan, of course. Um, next up, I'll be talking about Freaky. Uh, if you're a long-time listener to this podcast, you know my my absolute love for Christopher Langdon's Happy Death Day movies. Mm-hmm. Um, those films marry the, the slasher and time loop genres together to create two of the most purely fun, purely funny movies I've seen in the last 10 years. Uh, this time, Langdon, once again, uh, he likes to subvert the slasher genre. Uh, and this time, he marries it with the body swap genre. Um, so this new fil- film is, is a blood-splattered twist on the freaky Friday franchise that dares ask, you know, hey, what if a nice, meek high school girl ended up switching bodies with a psychotic serial killer who, who looks like Vince Vaughn? Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's bolstered by absolutely go-for-broke performances from Vince Vaughn and Catherine Newton, uh, as well as Langdon's sharp humor. Uh, this film is a very fun ride, you know. Um, Freaky doesn't skimp on the meat and potatoes of any good body swap movie. Yep. They have a ton of fun watching two different people awkwardly slip into their new corporeal figures and lives. Um, both Newton and Vince Vaughn dig into their new parts with gusto. Uh, and while the early scenes play a bit broad, the, the duo eventually settle into their roles with a remarkable ease. Um, the girl is named Millie uh, and is, she is a, a bit of a bullied girl, mm-hmm. um, not used to being seen or respected. So she can't help but enjoy being stuck in, in Vaughn's... Uh, <laughs> Um, body, la, you know, as, as it turns out, people do listen to strong white men, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and the killer, uh, who is nicknamed the Blissfield Butcher, uh, delights in the anonymity uh, afforded by Newton's form. Um, along the way, the pair discover more about themselves and each other, kind of, and accidentally solves a few problems for each other. Um, the butcher's treatment of um, Millie's bullies and mean shop teacher and everything, it really takes the cake. Uh, they, they, they put on a masterclass of physical comedy while doing so. Uh, these people have range and freaky doesn't waste an inch of it. Yep. Uh, it's not it's not without its flaws, though. Um, the backstory of the magical dagger used in the body swap is very muddled. I don't quite understand it. And, and the ending is something of an anticlimax considering the build-up to it. Mm. Um, so while it's not nearly as good or fresh or inventive as Happy Death Day, uh, Freaky is certainly a movie that loves winking at the audience similarly. Um, it's funny. It features an ample body count, a lot of gruesomely innovative kills, which is why I'm giving this a 7 out of 10. Very fun movie. Nice. Yeah. Uh, next up, um, going back to Netflix, uh, this is a film called His House. Uh, it is an impressive debut from Brit- British writer-director Remy Weeks, and it follows a refugee couple uh, who make a harrowing escape from Watan, Sudan, and find asylum in the UK. Uh, but as they struggle to settle into an English town, they find themselves plagued by a supernatural evil from back home. Um, it's a seamless mashing of classic scary movie tropes mm-hmm. with more profound horror of real-world conflict zones while also tackling issues of race and cultural displacement through the mesh of genre. Um, his house engages with the legacies of tribalism, survivor's guilt, and the psychological scars are wrought by genocidal atrocities. Uh, although, of course, they, they face racism and, and xenophobia once they're in England as well. You know, that's in the mix too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but these thematic under, undertones aside, the movie is also very uh, a very effective generator of jump scares and nightmarish imagery. Much of it uh, achieved with relatively lo-fi special effects, uh, mesmeric lighting, and and intensely committed performances from its lead you know uh, it's such a surprising film that zigs when you expect it to zag um, it sleeps slips uh, seamlessly between the Sudanese language of Dinka and English uh, with lead actors uh, Wunmu Mosaku who who also played uh, Ruby in Lovecraft Country uh, and Sope Dirusu uh, they're both outstanding here uh, seemingly as stoic victims uh, of a genocidal atrocity but they have a history of dark secrets of their own, uh, which is spurning the guilt and the haunting that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, ultimately, guilt is shown to be uh, as uh, a powerful generator of pain, uh, as much or even more so than victimization. Uh, so without spoiling anything, the, the ending recalls the conclusion of the Babadook uh, with a message about reconciling with your own monsters. Uh, really, really good movie, a 7.5 out of 10. Nice. Wow. Yeah. 
uh, still keeping with Netflix. Uh, talking about Blood of Zeus now. Uh, Blood of Zeus <laughs> is Netflix's latest adult animated series, <sighs> and it's a mix of um, anime-style visuals and Greek mythology. Um, there have been a lot of takes on ancient Greek myths that it feels very tired by this point. Um, and, and, and this show does something interesting by positing that this is a story of a, a lost chapter in Greek mythology. Uh, so it tells the, the, the saga of Heron, uh, a commander who learns that he's a, a rejected offspring of Zeus, one of many, yep. and, and must become ready to save the world from a demonic army. Uh, Heron's original story uh, allows the series to feature many notable gods and figures, uh, but it's not restrained by uh, canon, so to speak, you know, because, uh, you know, it's not a, an established story, so they can do whatever they want with it. Um, so it has it's kind of like, uh, it, it has fun like, with, with Heron's ability to fight against the titans of Greek mythology, mm. and the show can recontextualize what the audience thinks about these characters and events. Um, that being said, um, I, I thought like the ideas and visuals and, and battle sequences are ambitious. They are. They are. But not executed or polished well enough to to the point where like its reach exceeds its grasp. Yeah. Um, it's it's also pretty bland when it comes to character work. Uh-huh. Um, everybody's motiv- motivations are broad <laughs> and generic. Uh, that it's almost laughably simplistic. Mm-hmm. Um, the lack of nuance leads to a lack of investment, and that's a major drawback for me. Um, you you do you catch a bit of this as well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I finished it in the end, but it's just really one of those things that I put on in the background. I was so excited yeah. because you know it has the look and feel of of what, uh, Castlevania kind of been has been bringing to us for like three seasons. Mm-hmm. Um especially in the poster art. But we didn't mm. really get much of that. Uh, both in terms of characterization and in just of the overall like, consistency of the artwork. You know? Yeah. Uh, and I'm a, uh, I'm a big Greek mythology fan. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just really didn't feel like it, it... Okay, it didn't have the visual flair that I wanted. It didn't have the character development that I wanted. It didn't even dive that deeply into the mythology of it. You know? Mm-hmm. So, like... Overall, for me, Blood of Zeus was pretty meh, all right? And I also think that it's, that's because, uh, personally, there's there's been a game out called Hades, right? Yep. Which is this roguelike that is pretty mind-blowingly good, um, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, that is everything that I want, right? The artwork is great. The gameplay is great. Mm. Uh, you know, the mythology is, like, it's, some, it's got some deep cuts, lah. let's just put it that way. You know, right. uh, and it is everything that Blood of Zeus is not. So all in all, it's very meh. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm rating this a five out of ten. What about you? Yeah, it's a five out of ten for me. Like it's an easy watch, but not not, mm-hmm. not much more than that. Yeah, uh, yeah, same. I totally agree. Uh, next up, I'll be talking about uh, AMC's new anthology series called Soulmates, which posits the question, uh, what if there was a scientific test that could accurately identify the person you'd love most in your life, mm. uh, aka your soulmate? Uh, it is set 15 years uh, into the future. This show explores what that technology could mean, and the people who take the test uh, rarely get what they bargain for. Uh, it doesn't work too hard to explain how such a game-changing technology became possible, yeah. but instead it imagines what the arrival of a foolproof soulmate test would do 
to shift people's perspective on what true love means. Uh-huh. Um, particularly, it challenges those already in existing relationships uh, and, and it makes the world an irrevocably different place. Um, each of the six episodes uh, focuses on a different story and set of relationships. Uh, it sounds like certain episodes of Black Mirror and, and indeed, it was written by the writers of USS Callister. Ah. Uh, but the ones that work best are the ones that are least like Black Mirror. Uh, take the first episode, for example, which is the best episode of, of the season uh, it's called Watershed and it stars Sarah Snook from Succession and Kingsley Ben-Adir as uh, Nikki and Franklin uh, a couple who have been married since they met in college and quickly uh, perhaps too quickly become everything to each other uh, 15 years later they're living in a world in which they have to uh, go to a new soulmate wedding every weekend um, Nikki finds herself kind of furious at the fact that her stable marriage has become a relic you know like their marriage is happy mm-hmm. they've put years of hard work into making it work they have two beautiful kids uh they're perfectly fine you know but now seemingly everyone around her starts taking the test and finding their ideal partner and she can't be sure is if is this happiness all there is or is there something more um the ensuing hour anchored by a terrific performance by Snook uh, is painful and revealing, finding pockets of devastating insight tucked uh, away in dark corners that neither Nikki nor Franklin have addressed in years. Uh, the soulmate test is the instigator, but the intimate drama of them, you know, kind of poking the tender bruise of their marriage is, is as real as it gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, soulmates kind of get lost in the weeds of its ambition. Uh, three chapters, uh, The Lovers, uh, Break on Through, and, and The Power Ballad of Caitlin Jones uh, jump to the extreme ends of storytelling spectrum. Um, they are a bit too genre-y. I, I know this is genre equality, but yeah. like, they, they <laughs> seem to focus more on concepts than character. Uh, and there needs to be a balance of both, because why would I care about such concepts? I mean, I know they are ideal idea why is they're intriguing but you know, it needs to have some real world application and emotional application to mm-hmm. it uh, so yeah they're, they're not too impressive you know but there are two other episodes called Little Adventures and Layover that are really really good as well that yep. that uh, focuses on relationship dynamics and and really relies on the chemistry on the actors uh, portraying them uh. so like all anthologies this is a mixed bag you know um, the worst episodes range from 3 to 5 out of 10 and the best episodes range from 8 to 9 out of 10, with uh, Watershed being a 9 out of 10. So um, I would say that overall, this is a 6 out of 10. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, in particular, episodes 1, 5, and 6 are very good because they dive into the minutiae of these characters and their dynamics. Uh-huh. Uh, too often, sci-fi is, I think, too focused on macro implications on, on religion, politics, law, philosophy, etc. Yep. And not focused enough on the micro and the rich interior detail of these people. Uh, Soulmates works best on the micro level uh, on episodes 1, 5, and 6. And I love that. Lah. So those are the episodes that I would recommend okay. for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the rest of these, I'm just really going to breeze through. Um, most of this is garbage. Um, <laughs> the, cra- the craft legacy is next. Uh, nearly 25 years have gone since the uh, cult classic. Uh, the craft, you know, uh, tapped into a pre-Harry Potter fascination with the occult and wishes, yep. uh, giving teenage audiences a sense of how empowering it might feel for for young women uh, who are kind of persecuted persecuted by date rapey douchebags and openly racist prom queens to maybe invoke a little black magic in their desire to get even. Uh, now comes the sequel helped by Zoe Lister-Jones called The Craft Legacy. Uh, unfortunately, this is a smart but way too safe 
PG-13 version of the late 90s punk favorite. Mm -hmm. uh, Legacy is uh, is watered down. Uh, PG-13 reboot in which, in which the outsiders are no longer treated as freaks and their mission amounts to enlightening classmates and other assorted chauvinists about the risks of underestimating young women. Uh, doing so could get you killed in the original craft. Whereas uh, in this, the worst that can happen is maybe uh, you wake up woke uh, and and spouting your newborn <laughs> appreciation for Princess Nokia or the or the essays of Janet Mock or things like that. Yeah. Um. The craft is a great legacy, and and this uh this light as a feather, stiff as a board sequel is not it. Uh, it is a two out of ten. Damn. Uh, next up, we're talking about Spell. Spell is the new horror movie that follows a bush pilot named Marquis who flies uh to his father's funeral in the in rural Appalachia. Um, that's when an intense storm causes Marquis to lose control of the plane, carrying himself and his family. He awakens wounded and alone, trapped in the attic of a woman named Miss Eloise. Eloise claims that she can nurse him back to health with a hoodoo figure she's made from his blood and skin. Um, unable to call for help, Marquis desperately tries to break free from her dark magic and save his family from a sinister ritual before the rise of the Blood Moon. Um, it's a pretty standard B-movie gimmick where urban city folk are trapped in a rural area. Yeah. Uh, except here, instead of you know homicidal hillbillies like Texas Chainsaw or whatever, it's uh, the Appalachian enclave of black hoodoo practitioners. Um, overall, I think it's a decently stylish thriller with occult elements. Uh, unfortunately, the stylistic efforts aren't enough to compensate for the predictable, cliche-ridden aspects of the screenplay. Uh, plus, the movie walks an uneasy line between critiquing stereotypes and reinforcing them. Yep. Um, and, and Spell is just too familiar, reminding you that there are way better movies in this genre. And it's certainly not aided, aided by its confusing messaging. So it's a 4 out of 10 for me. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, next up is something that could have been really good. Um, it is called Jujitsu. Uh, it is the latest addition to Nicolas Cage's batshit bonkers uh, filmography. The premise is this. Um, every six years, an ancient order of Jujitsu experts, um, they, 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 they face a vicious race of alien invaders in a battle for the Earth. Uh, for thousands of years, the Jujitsu fighters that protect the Earth have won. Uh, until now, uh, that's when uh, that's when a celebrated war hero named Jake Barnes is defeated by Brax, uh, the leader of the invaders. Uh, the f and so the future of humanity hangs in the balance. Um, injured and suffering from amnesia, because of course he has amnesia, uh, Jack is rescued by Wiley, played by Nicolas Cage, and his team on Jiu-Jitsu Fighters. They must help Jack regain his strength in order to band together and defeat Brax in an epic battle that will once again uh, determine the fate of mankind. Uh, so look, while I admire Nicolas Cage's go for broke attitude, uh, Nicolas Cage going nuts isn't a guarantee for a good movie. Yeah. Some sometimes you get Leaving Las Vegas, sometimes you get Mandy, sometimes you get Color Out of Space, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But but most of the time you get The Wicker Man or Bangkok Dangerous. Um, and, and this is a case of the latter. Uh, Nicolas Cage's amusing turn as a martial arts expert uh, who also fights aliens, who's also a hermit with a new affinity for newspaper hats. Uh, seriously, he makes them throughout the entire movie. Um, that part is amusing, but this mostly feels like awkward in a bad way where the campiness isn't campy enough and the fight scenes don't even deliver. Oh, uh, so it's, it's kind of a hard pass. It's, it's a 1 out of 10. Uh, okay, down to the last two. Uh, Mortal is the next one. It's a Norwegian fantasy about a young man discovering that he has godlike powers straight out of Norse mythology. Um, 
The modest visual effects, which mostly consist of distant lightning bolts and gathering storm clouds, bring little excitement to this uh, by-the-numbers uh, movie, which follows the same tired beat as every superhero origin story you've ever seen. Yep. Um, if you want to watch a movie that makes Thor to the Dark World look like a cinematic masterpiece, this is it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Mortal is a 2 out of 10, give this a pass. Um, finally, I'm going to be talking about the Iron Mask, which is even more bonkers than Jujutsu. Um, okay. This is, I mean, it could have been one of the most entertainingly terrible movies of all time. Uh, the Iron Mask stars Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, as a British naval officer with a British accent <laughs> uh, and Jackie Chan. Uh, and, and it's a big budget blockbuster co-financed by Chinese and Russian studios. Yeah. Um, yes, this is a movie that exists and it has dragons and magic and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan fighting each other and it has to be seen to be believed. Um, it is set in 18th century Russia, China and England uh, and is an action fantasy adventure which is apparently a sequel to a 2014 film called Forbidden Empire which I didn't watch. Yeah. Um, it, it follows the exploits of a cartographer named Jonathan Green as he undertakes the scientific and supernatural journey that leads him from England to China. Uh, it's just as a... It's, it's kind of a swashbuckling romp through bad green screens and CGI, <laughs> and, and a story that's so ridiculously nonsensical, nonsensical that it actually stops being amusing. Um, nevertheless, you know, um, you, it has to be seen because it's one of the worst movies I've, I've ever watched. Like, it's a zero out of ten. So <laughs> that's it. Yeah. yeah, I'm just looking at the wiki page. I, I typed in the Iron Mask and it tells me V2, Journey to yeah. China, which is the original thing that it, it, it launched. Yes. It was built as V2 in, in, in China and Russia, but for, I guess, English audiences, it's been re renamed the Iron Mask. Uh, and we, we we don't know. I didn't know that it was a sequel. Apparently, it's a sequel. Oh, my God. Uh, I know Schwarzenegger's British accent is as bad as you can imagine. Yeah. Al already, I mean, it's Arnold. Yeah. There's mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. Indeed. Yeah. Um, I mean, you might want to watch this just because it's so bad. You might think it's good, you know, as one of those, like, the room type of... Uh, uh, Friday night adventures where you get drunk, but other than that, it's not really worth watching. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't think I have any intention to. Yeah, man. Uh, anyways, uh, next up will be uh, well, actually, before we move on, any of the any of the shows or movies that I mentioned that uh that capture your fancy. I think I'm I'm probably gonna check out True Seekers. Uh, for sure. Yeah. I'm a big fan of of um Simon Peck and Gang. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I I saw the trailer for His House on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I bookmarked it, but I haven't gotten to around it yet. I definitely want to nice. check that out. Uh, Paranormal Adventure Time is definitely on the list as well. Um, I'm probably gonna pocket freaky for you know sometime when I need something kind of light and and, and breezy. It's very light. Uh, yeah. And I I don't know I don't know if I have enough time to do all of Soulmates, but it sounds pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, so I'll yeah. definitely do one, five, and six, mm -hmm. uh, and and go through that. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, jujitsu. I don't know if I can do more Nicolas Cage. Like, like, it. Nick, twenty twenty seems like a Nicolas Cage year, you know. Like, it's just been yeah. that absurd. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I, I don't think I'm going to be doing any of that. Yeah, speaking of the craft, yeah. what is what is up with our very poor, with the very poor witch movies, which is, which movies that have been coming out. Recently. I think people were just uh, trying to capitalize on Halloween. Uh, the craft came out, you know, on November thirtieth. Obviously, we couldn't cover it for our Halloween episode yeah. because it came out after we recorded. Um, so I've, a lot of people were just trying to cash in, like you know, uh, what's good horror? Uh, sometimes it's slasher, sometimes it's uh, witches, sometimes it's monsters, and and most of the time, 
it just feels like they wanted to fill up programming slots rather than actually make good stories. It's just, you know, a, a cash grab for Halloween. Yeah. And, and, and this was it, you know. Yeah. I, I don't know if we've gotten like, well, The Witch is the witch is kind of a witch story. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the witch is definitely a witch story. Yeah, the witch is definitely yeah. a witch story, but like, I was just trying to think of like when the, was the last time we got a good witch franchise, actually. Mm, Sabrina Season 1 was pretty good. That is true. That is true. We did we did give it some glowing reviews when it first came out. Yeah, yeah. It hasn't lived up to its potential, but it was pretty promising for a while. Mm, yeah, that is true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll be moving on to Isis' segment now. I think this is called Isis Anime Corner, where he covers... Well, or at least cherry picks the the best of the current anime season. So, uh, what do you have for us? Yeah, I, I wish I could review everything, but like, there's just so much. There, there's at least forty to fifty titles that come out in any given season. Uh, wow. I've I've basically divided this autumn season into uh two broad categories, right? So, I'm going to talk about like notable returning series. So, if you mm. are a fan or something that we've already covered and or recommended like it's back you know or um and uh first and foremost uh just to kind of get it out of the way because like we've already given this multiple stamps of approval high Q mm. to the top second season well technically it is the second half of the second season is back uh yeah. you know uh all the good stuff i'm i'm not totally caught up with everything yet but i mean um which episode was it uh hits which episode behold was it that we're talking about high Q? A uh, couple of episodes ago, thirty four. Yeah, so if you want to hear us like gush and and rant and all of that about how great Haikyuu is and maybe one of the best sports anime of all time, mm-hmm. um, please go ahead and check that out. Uh, but yes, uh, just to let you guys know that it is now and it is currently airing, and we're about six or seven episodes in. Uh, eight as of uh, a couple of days ago. Oh, I just watched. Ah, it. nice. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So please, Haikyuu, good stuff. Um, you can watch the. You can go and catch up um, on all the early Haikyuu episodes on Netflix. Yeah, Net- otherwise it's on Crunchyroll. Oh, on Crunchyroll as well, yeah. yeah. Uh, next, I'm going to talk about uh, Danmachi, or is it wrong to pick up, try to pick up girls in Dungeon Season 3? So, Bell, Crano, and Gang are back, and uh, this time around, they are going into the dungeon again to find some fairly surprising uh, changes that are going on in the world of Oratoria. So, mm-hmm. um, whereas season one and two was kind of like a very light-hearted, breezy um, f- affair, I think season three is kind of delving into some very interesting questions. It's a much darker and a much deeper look at the world building that has been set up for the past two seasons. Uh, essentially, right. monsters are gaining sentience. Mm-hmm. The monsters in the dungeon are gaining sentience, which has never happened before. Uh, and Bell is caught between several factions uh, among the godhood uh, who feel that monsters should continue to be treated as monsters regard- regardless of their intention or their intelligence or their mm. sentience. Uh, mm. And um, uh, be- between those that uh, are fighting for kind of integration, right? So you can draw whatever parallels you want. Um, I-, I think, you know... Um, in- Westworld? Yeah, Westworld, otherness... Right, yeah. racism and all of that. Uh, Danmachi doesn't go into that kind of detail, but they've de- they're definitely upping the um, the ante just in terms of like the kind of stories that they're trying to tell. I mean, like a lot of people yeah. tend to see Danmachi as a very mediocre anime, and for the most part, it is. But for me, it's just like plain enjoyable, and I think it's an interesting turn of events for them to go in a direction like this and be a bit more serious with what they're trying to do. 
Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, next up, it is the return of the Irregular at Magic High School. Uh, this time around, it's called the Visitor's Arc. Uh, for those of you that are unaware, I covered this a fair time back. And basically, we follow a high school... Okay, so magic and science are basically now the same thing, right? Mm. Magic is a part of science or magic is a, a form of scientific... Uh, I mean, basically, yeah. they scienced magic out, lah, right? So yeah, we, I mean, magic is a science we have been understood. Yeah, here, right? so um, basically, in this particular world, in the future, uh, we figured out how to... Um, use magic in a more, more scientific way, right? So, which which allows uh, magic users to go to school and learn about how to go and cast spells, create spells, counter spells, and all of that. Uh, so, the irregular basically is a high school student who has incredibly poor aptitude scores as far as the school is concerned, but secretly mm-hmm. he's actually one of the most powerful magicians in the world. Like right, yeah. Um, so he's a strategic class magician, capable of taking out an entire nation by himself. But he's a high school student. Um, so after a very promising first half of the first season, um, irregular magic high school ended very very poorly with kind of like this really rushed four episodes where they closed the final arc in a war, a magic war against like uh. Chinese special forces that was horribly, horribly drawn. Oh, wow. And incredibly, uh, it was very, very sad because like it was so promising up till that point. I, I'm not really sure what happened there. Uh, but they managed to salvage that with a, uh, a movie that came out Halloween two years ago, mm-hmm. which was kind of mind-blowing just in terms of like the, the animation and the amount of detail. Um, you know, trying to just to make up for the horrendous affair at the last one. So they are back now, uh, with a more interesting look, uh, adding to the whole idea that magic can be scienced. We are adding extra dimensionality and uh, demons. Uh, so that's been fairly interesting. Uh, if you are a fan of the world building and everything that has come before, uh, I think. The regular Magic High School Visitor arc is a continuation of that and is worth catching if you're already a fan. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, going to something else, Golden Kamui Season 3. Uh, if you guys mm-hmm. haven't heard me talk about this, this is one of the most underrated anime over the last couple of years. Uh, you follow a Japanese soldier uh, during, the, during the Hokkaido Go Rush called the Imoto Sugimoto. Imoto Sugimoto. Um, and season three is a continuation of the story as he uh, he continues to try to collect pieces of a treasure map that are tattooed on prisoners' back uh, backs. Hmm. Yeah. So um, have do you remember me talking about this? Yeah. Uh, before? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like it's a continuation of that. Like again, the storytelling and the character development for this is constantly great. Um, the animation and action sequences are also really really good. But it's just kind of the way that the story has been developing over the, all sorts of twists and turns, all sorts of like politicking going on in the background while our two uh, heroes are trying to find their way to survive and ultimately, you know, find the treasure. Uh, and it's been really, really good. Um, okay. I'm also going to talk about, well, technically this is a new anime, but I'm including it here because it's related to an old favorite of a lot of people. Uh, a classic, and I'm going to talk about Yasha Hime, Princess Half Demon, which is actually the sequel to Inuyasha, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which, for a lot of anime fans, is a classic. Um, so, Yasha Hime basically follows 
the daughters of Seishomaru and Inuyasha in an adventure that kind of spans like it kind of spans like timelines, right? Uh, so basically, t- the two half demon twins, Toa and Setsuna, who are Sashomaru's daughters, uh, get separated from each other. One of them gets sent to the future and is raised by a relative of uh, of uh, Kagome, mm-hmm. and the other one becomes a demon slayer in feudal Japan. Later on, the portal reopens and they are reunited. Uh, but the younger sister, who is in feudal Japan, no longer remembers the older sister whatsoever. So they basically go on an adventure. Uh, joined by Moroha, who is the daughter of Inuyasha and Kagome, uh, to kind of reclaim their past um, that they've lost together, right? It is fairly fun and very interesting, and it has a lot of throwbacks to the original anime, uh, the Inuyasha anime, uh, and it's fun in that way. It's very similar tonally. Uh, even the kind of like human beats that they have is very reminiscent of that. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, to me, however, the animation is feels very, very dated. Uh, I mean, like, obviously, they're trying to stay true to what Inuyasha uh, um, used to look like. Uh, But it it really does need an uplift, in my opinion. So, if you are a fan of Inuyasha and you would like to see the continuation of that particular story, because Inuyasha did get cut quite... um, Yeah, Inuyasha as a series didn't quite get finished, um, although Mm. the manga did. Um, please go ahead and check out Yashahime, Princess Half Demon. Again, this is a new anime, um, but I'm putting it in this category because, you know, that's how people people know about it. Um, nice. Okay. I'm also going to talk about the next thing is a Chinese animation called The King's Avatar, uh, which is into their season two. Uh, I've covered this before, and basically it follows the ambitions of former pro esports players trying to make a comeback right so oh, wow. uh, yeah so we follow yechu uh and his um and his ambition of trying to go um go back to the pro league i'll get back to the pro league of glory which is a massive uh online multiplayer game uh you know after his kind of fall from grace and uh from the the biggest team in the league uh it is an extremely niche uh, appeal, right? Like if you if you're into games and you're into kind of MMOs and all of that and esports, I think there's a lot of things to like about that. And it's just a continuation of story from season one. Uh this this production is backed by Tencent, so there's a lot of production value going on with that. Uh nice. but they do kind of skimp out on it has a really, really terrible opening song and ending song. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's kind of sad. I mean, okay, the ending song is not too bad, but the opening song is absolutely terrible. So I, I think they might have skimped out some money on there. Uh, itself. Huh. The animation is really, really good. And the fight sequences are some of the best, I think, uh, when it comes to just this particular style of animation. You know, it's a, it feels a lot like um, The Outcast, which is another uh, martial arts um, um, Chinese animation that came out some time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the King's Avatar is also a returning series. I'm quite enjoying it. Uh, they are going into all the little scheming things that they need to do behind the scenes. You know, it's not just about like being on the stage uh, and 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 king the shit out of your competitors. There's a lot of like uh, politics in the background as well. So that has been fairly interesting. Nice. Okay. Okay. So moving on to new series recommendations. Hits. Have you caught any of Jujutsu Kaisen? 
No, I have not. Okay, so Jujutsu Kaisen is the most hyped anime at the moment. And I, I have seen it a lot, yeah. Yeah, with good reason. I think like uh it is a fairly um it's a fairly modern take, I think, on the it's got the same vibes as Demon Slayer, right? So mm. essentially, um you follow Yuji Itadori, who is a member of his high school adult uh occult club. Oh, I almost said adult club. That's a totally different, <laughs> that totally different show. Yeah, uh, you know, and he kind of spends his days uh, together with his seniors, uh, investigating paranormal things, um, and uh, you know, uh, spending his evenings visiting his bedridden grandfather. Uh, yeah. His life takes a strange turn when he unknowingly encounters a cursed item that he happens to find upon his school grounds. This triggers a whole slew of supernatural events which ends up with him swallowing the cursed object, um, which happens to be a finger. Oh, wow. Uh, How does he swallow? Well, never mind. I don't, don't spoil. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, he, he basically finds himself thrust into the strange world of sorcery and curses, right? So Jujutsu Kaisen is basically about uh, his story as uh, he learns to adapt to his new life as a jujutsu practitioner, uh, basically someone who uses curses um, you know, to uh, and gives you, it gives you supernatural power, right? Uh, it is a very very well animated series with some amazing soundtracks, I have to say. Um, the action is clean, uh, the world building is fascinating, the characters still need a bit of time to develop, uh, but it has kind of all the all the hallmarks of something that could be very, very good. I'm very excited to see where it goes. Currently, it is at episode 8. We are a third through the season. Um, and I have to say that so far from what uh, we've seen, uh, Sorcery Fight might actually end up, you know, ranking up there with your Demon Slayer and your My Hero Academia and so on and so forth if it doesn't, like, take a dip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the hype is real uh, and I, I'm, I'm nice. totally supporting that. For Good sure. to hear, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, next up, I want to talk about Moriarty the Patriot. Yeah. Yeah, so Moriarty the Patriot is basically a new spin on, uh, you know, uh, Sir Arthur Conan yeah. Doyle's work about Sherlock, but this time around, we're going to put the spotlight on the antagonist instead. Um, it's, the late, uh, it's the late 19th century. The British Empire has uh, become a global power. Right, yep. um, Britain is uh, under the rule of strict class stratification with the nobles at the top and everybody else below. Uh, William James Moriarty, who is a young math- a mathematics professor, uh, has a side hustle as um, the consultant of crime, basically. You know, and we kind of see his uh, adventures, misadventures, and um, his scheming as he goes through trying to topple the ruling class. Um, most interestingly, in uh, the latest episode, they just introduced Sherlock's uh, character, which has been pretty interesting. I'm very, very curious to see what uh, take they have on their relationship. Uh, obviously, to me, the most iconic uh, Moriarty-Sherlock um, uh, dynamic was the one in the BBC one with Cumberbatch and, oh no, what's the guy who plays Moriarty? Hot Priest. Yes, Hot Priest. Exactly, yeah. right? That is one of the yeah. most compelling kind of like protagonist-antagonist relationship in a Sherlock Holmes story that I've ever seen. So I'm really curious to see where it goes. Um, mm-hmm. It's very, very compelling watch. Um, it 
really is feels very accurate to the time uh, that they're setting it in in 19th century England. There's a lot of attention to detail in terms of the way that they dress, um, the things that they refer to, and a lot of the set pieces are, are kind of surround that. So highly recommend uh, Moriarty the Patriot. And uh, we, we go into kind of like the notable uh, mentions, things that, I mean, I found interesting and enjoyable, but aren't necessarily like great to watch. One of it is okay. going to be Akudama Drive. Um, so basically, this takes place in a new Japan in the future where something, uh, uh, an event has occurred that has split Japan into two. So basically, you have your Kanto region and you have your Kansai region. Okay. Right. Uh, and and this has occurred because of um, of a war that broke out between the two factions. Uh, within this world, you have criminals who are super powered called Akudama. Uh, essentially, uh, it is it is a heist uh, series uh, set in like a Blade Runner world, essentially. Right. Um, but I'm recommending this in particular because, wow, uh, the animation is pretty sick. I really, really have to say, um, like the way everything looks and feels is straight out of like you know altered carbon, Blade Runner, and all of that. Uh, there yeah. are moments in time in which I feel like they put more thought and detail into the background scenes than they actually do with the characters themselves, uh, which can mm-hmm. be a bit jarring. Uh, but all in all, it's a pretty fun romp if you are into heist things, uh, and you kind of like the whole like thematic, um future future look of, of Blade Runner and Altered Carbon, I think this one is for you. Awesome. Okay. I'm gonna next up I'm gonna talk about Noblis, which is an adaptation from a Korean manhwa. So uh if you haven't gotten your you know Bishonen um vampire fix oh yeah uh in a while then Noblis is it for you. And and to be very honest like, I mean we've talked about we've talked about Helsing and all of that. Right, yeah. uh, but I don't think we've really gotten like a fairly interesting like vampire one. Uh, in serious, the Jaeger was okay in my opinion. Uh, okay. I didn't rate it that well. But Noblis is an incredibly popular manhwa that just recently uh, got turned into the anime itself. Uh, I recommend mm. it for no other reason than it has some amazing fight scenes, like really okay. really good fight scenes that are spotted throughout kind of like the slice of life of this 820-year-old like pure-blood vampire trying to adjust to high school life, right? Which is funny in its own way, but it's not the first time it's been done. Um, But the fight sequences really have been quite mind-blowing and it's a bit jarring sometimes too because it doesn't transition very well between your whole slice of life thing and, you know, the greater kind of plot behind it. Uh, But Mm -hmm. yeah, so if you want Bishonen vampire boys and girls um, you know fighting it out uh, while trying to live a high school life then uh, Noblis is um, it's pretty good it's pretty good um, so is this a, a, a Korean show or uh, is this no. a Japanese so production? it was a Korean manhwa that got turned into a Japanese production oh so the anime is made by Japanese anime yes uh, okay. so the thing is Noblis the manhwa is so popular that yeah. this anime adaptation is done by production IG Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, oh. so when I oh. yeah, so that's the kind of caliber of fight scenes that we're talking about. Mm. Yeah, all in all, like it's 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 kind of a meh story. I don't think it's uh, gone anywhere. Uh, it's gone anywhere necessarily 
great at the moment uh, other than the fight scenes uh, but there is no set amount of episodes at the moment right and the and the whole noblis um manhua i think is going into i don't know there are, there are several hundred chapters i think if i'm not wrong wow yeah okay. so there's a potential for this to kind of get fairly interesting um there have been kind of detractors because it really follows like the whole shonen power up arc uh, to a mm-hmm. fault um but we'll see we'll see i i production ig rarely picks up something unless they really think it's worth putting time into so yeah we'll we'll see how it goes nice okay yeah. i'll check it out um on a more lighthearted note i want to talk about uh our uh, wandering witch the journey of elena which feels like a slightly more grown-up version of Little Witch Academia, which is one of my favorite animes, uh, kind of like Slice of Five animes. It's on Netflix now. Yeah, uh, Little Witch Academia. Yeah, so Journey of Elena, um, basically it's about a girl who read a book about a witch who traveled and decided that she wanted to be a witch as well. Uh, yeah. And it's kind of a very interesting um, series following her journey, from how she became a witch to all the various strange, wonderful terrifying places in her world that she visits and uh, the people that she meets and how they ultimately change their life and she changes theirs um it's a it's a very it's a very calm easy breezy watch um occasionally thought-provoking which is surprising uh given how it was but i'm really kind of enjoying this as a you know uh just a easy calming thing to watch at the moment uh, aside from all the action stuff that's going on cool yeah a bit of a of a respite yeah a, a dessert palate cleanser mm. uh, and yeah. and um, last one I'm going to talk about uh, is actually a mini series it was supposed to be released as a movie um, but it's only three episodes and it's called Burn the Witch which is based off or adapted off of um, a one shot uh, from the guy who made Bleach Oh, okay. Right? So, this takes place in the London uh, equivalent of Soul Society, right? Okay. Uh, which is dominated. Uh, it's called Reverse London and is dominated by dragons. So, we follow uh, two witches who are basically... Uh, their job is to deal with the dragons, right? Uh, both Noel and Nini. And yep. they're supposed to be protecting Reverse London from the dragons itself. Uh, it's kind of, um, I mean, it doesn't give you the complete story. The world building isn't entirely like thorough in any sort of way. Again, this was a one shot. It only had one chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's been pretty interesting. The artwork is very reminiscent of early Bleach, but with a slight update. Uh, so if you're kind of like into that and you're kind of like the nostalgia of that, that um, this Burn the Witch is really, really good. Um, nice. yeah the story um, takes place over three chapters and I think it gives you enough right of a peek into what an alternative soul society would look like uh, you know so instead of you know um, what what we get in soul society with the, the Shinigami and all of that we get witches and dragons instead which apparently are more culturally you know uh, apt for the geolocation that it's in I really did quite okay. enjoy it. It's a very quick, easy, like uh, it's an hour and 10 minutes, I think, in total for all those uh, right. episodes. Uh, and for Fans of Bleach, um, it doesn't really have direct relation to that, but it did remind me a lot of it. So I had a good time with that. Nice. Okay. 
Yeah. Yeah, of, of, of all the shows he mentioned, like obviously Jujutsu Kaisen is, is on the top of the list like, for, for me to watch just because of the hype. You know, I got a bit of full mode. So uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that one out. <laughs> yeah. Jujutsu Kaisen, like, I, I really, really think like it has a lot of potential. I don't think um they. There hasn't been any missteps so far, you know, just in terms yep. of the pacing and all of that, which is a which is a, a pretty high bar. I think like Demon Slayer has set the bar in terms of like what an anime season's pacing should be like. Yeah. Um. So we'll see. Uh, still fairly early into the season, only a third of the way through. Mm-hmm. Um. But for me, a good indication of that is just like they've got some of the really popular voice actors on it. Yeah. So um, it's it's. It's it's looking promising. It's looking promising. Nice, you know. Uh, and you know, to to cap off uh this week's episode, um, couple of two things uh left, you know, besides pull this, uh, I'm going to, um, eulogize a bit uh, about uh, <laughs> the, uh, a very long running show, um, Supernatural. Um, as it stands right now, you know, um, Supernatural has 15 se- seasons under its belt. Uh, its finale just at this week as of this recording. Um, and it is actually the longest running genre series in American broadcast TV, if you can believe it. Um, Damn. Not, not, not in the world, though. The, the longest running um, in the world is uh, Doctor Who, mm-hmm. you know, which has been running since the 50s or 60s. So, yeah, now, I don't think anything will be able to beat that. But in terms of American broadcast TV, Supernatural is it. La. Um, I once frequently joked that Supernatural would outlive us all. Um, and I've spent like a considerable amount of time over the last <laughs> few months, especially considering what the legacy of the show might have been if it ended after season five, um, which was the culmination of the original series' uh, Angels and Demons arc, you know, as yep. planned by series creator Eric Kripke. Eric Kripke also is now the showrunner of, of The Boys, so, you know, he's doing well. But um, the first five seasons were undoubtedly great television. It told um, an almost perfect story, uh, uh-huh. and its finale, season five finale, Swan Song, um, was such a perfect series finale that I had wished at the time that Supernatural had just ended there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that season five went on to season 15, and the fact that every season of the, its initial five-season run, you know, it was perennially on the bubble. It had so many obstacles to overcome. Um, it was on the verge of being cancelled every season. Season three was cut in half because of the writer's strike. Um and and in in the, in the middle of its initial five season run, its uh its network the WB yeah uh, folded uh the WB merged with uh um the UPN uh to create CW uh-huh. uh and and Supernatural was not a given to 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 go across really. Supernatural was one of the shows on the bubble that the CW didn't want to pick up because it wasn't doing well. Um, and considering you know what it's become for the CW, um, I'm sure they're glad they, they made the decision. Now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like the the first five seasons were a, kind of a, this near perfect blend of you know absurdist comedy and compelling mythology and complicated family angst and and daring contemplations of, of free will. Um, there are instant classic episodes around every corner, especially after season three. You know when uh, the show really started finding its footing. Um, it was it was a great five season span. Uh, one of the most memorable things. Uh, but Going on into season six, you know, after completing that heavily serialized, exceptionally successful arc, um, which seemed at the time to be the pinnacle of its narrative, the the, yep. the show being forced into season six had like new mountains to climb. You know, the, um, old school fans such as myself uh, will obviously be comparing it to the first five seasons, um, 
thereafter. Like, and it becomes clear that there are two versions of Supernatural, you know. There is the Supernatural that exists from Season 1 to 5 when I was an Arden fan, uh-huh. and the Supernatural uh, from Season 6 to 15 when it caught on fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's bizarre because Season 6 to 15... Uh, even the current Supernatural fans who have gone back to watch season 1 and 5 would recognize that 6 to 15 are not great seasons, like, yeah. not the best, you know. So it, it's bizarre that like its viewership has kind of ballooned and it's become this pop cultural phenomenon in the seasons when it wasn't that good. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's what I think about Supernatural. Like, it's it's had a kind of bizarre arc, you know. Yeah. Uh, but but that, that being said, you know, there are certain aspects of its legacy from season 6 to 15 that can be fondly remembered by fans and critics alike because I think Supernatural continued to grow in popularity over the years. And and the fact that it was able to de- deliver so many creatively ambitious episodes like Scooby Natural, which was the crossover with um, uh, Scooby-Doo, or, or the, the one where, you know, Dean finds himself in, like, um, Gilmore Girls' uh, <laughs> alternate reality, things yeah. like this. Like, it, it, it's, it's a testament to the overall strength and creative writing stuff and its uh, genre-bending genius, you know. Uh, but its legacy is also more complicated now. For every great episode that is, there are multiple episodes that are probably best forgotten. Uh-huh. And, and and the longer the show goes on, you know, the, the more opportunities there are for mistakes and missteps. You know, Supernatural has certainly made a few mistakes and missteps along the way. But I, I guess much like the characters at the center of the show overcame, you know, seemingly impossible odds to come out more resilient on the other side. Um, for 15 years, I feel like Supernatural has been like this reliable and sturdy pot in a, in a storm of change. The television landscape has changed a lot in 15 years. Uh, and it is a constant companion and it felt like a bit like uh, a security blanket that I guess its fans could turn to whenever they needed uh, to be reassured that, you know, the, despite the, the the shifting landscapes of television, there was always going to be a supernatural. Yeah. There was always going to be Sam and Dean and a path <laughs> forward. It became familiar and comforting like the television equivalent of, a, you know, like a bowl of soup on a cold day. I suppose like other people might think I'm crazy and I think that way. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of what Supernatural has become. So I guess it's easy to look back and play a game of what if with the show's first undeniably great five seasons, you know, the, the original version that Eric Kripke had for the Winchesters. Yep. Um, what if it ended there? It might have been considered a perfect show, but would it have, would it have become the juggernaut that it is today? Probably not, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, did you ever watch Supernatural back in the day? You know, during its uh, the quote unquote prime. I know now is the heyday, but <laughs> back then, prime, yeah. I followed Supernatural. Okay, I followed it religiously for about I'm gonna say two and a half seasons, three seasons, and mm-hmm. then only like intermittently as and when it came up. Uh, you know, and and like nothing past that, as far as I mm-hmm. can remember. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like, it's always kind of been in the news. And once in a while, I just see it. So, like, what are the brothers up to now? You know, after, like, eight seasons in, ten seasons in. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I I did find it very compelling when it first started. Uh, mm. You know, but I just kind of, like, trailed off after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, same. Right? I mean, um, season five felt like just the perfect ending for me, which is when I watch, I stopped watching the show religiously, meaning week to week. Yeah. I did tune in once or twice per season for its special episodes whenever it does a, a gimmick episode. Um, and, you know, whether it was a musical, whether it was an animated episode, it's, it always felt like there were still the glimpses of the original genius there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it's coming rarely. Like, you know, last time season three, four, and five had those episodes every week, you know, and yeah. this time it's just like one or two a season. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, Supernatural has become 
one of the most iconic, uh, I guess, American genre shows uh, in in history. Yeah. Um, probably even outstripping things like Buffy and everything just because of his longevity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it comes at a precarious time for the CW, you know, with, with the end of Arrow uh, and the end of uh, Supernatural. You know, these are two, like, of their legacy shows, right? Yeah. You know, so, like, uh, like are, are they going to be able to create the new Arrow? Are they going to be able to create new Supernatural? Um, it doesn't seem so. Um, I feel like, you know, as much as we enjoy Legends and Supergirl and things like that, they just haven't been able to catch on in the same way that Arrow and Supernatural has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. certainly, and certainly, blacklining hasn't. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. It it might be the end of the era, not just for supernatural, but for CW as as a as a place for for as a genre destination. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's genre destination. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like basically, the CW right now, well, as of last year, like it was the supernatural and Berlanti versus the 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 DC versus channel. That's what it's known for, you know. What what is it without them, right? I don't think it it will be as big anymore. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like it was, it's nice to do a little res- retrospective. Um, although we're not huge fans anymore, certain certainly like a a long legacy that the show has, and we we thought we'd do like a small, uh, retrospective on it, lah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right at the end, right now, I'm going to be talking about. Uh, a graphic novel. This is part of the pull list. This is where I recommend reading material to you guys. Uh, this is called The Magic Fish. Um, it is by Trung Li Nguyen, uh, who is uh, one of my favorite artists. Um, he's a stunning illustrator that has built a huge following online. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of comics, you probably read some of his stories in anthologies like uh, Twisted Romance or A Thousand and One Nights or Fresh Romance. Uh, maybe you saw some of uh, Li Nguyen's um, amazing covers for comic book series like Adventure Time mm-hmm. or or lumberjanes and things like that. Uh, but if you've yet to discover his, his dream-like art, uh, you're, you're in for a treat because uh, The Magic Fish is the cartoonist's uh, debut graphic novel and it's a nothing short of spectacular. Um, this is a, a sprawling yet intimate story that juxtaposes fairy tales and the everyday to tell the story of Tien, who is a young boy trying to work out how to tell his parents that he's gay. Uh-huh. Um, Le Nguyen crafts a tale here that is both um, hopeful and bittersweet, uh, a moving tale of family, immigration, and coming out. There's plenty to love here, there's plenty to di- digest here. Uh, the cartoonist uh, spins glittering fantasy yarns that spill in and out of Tien's everyday life, slowly changing and evolving as he does. You know, So while he fills his days at school with friends and schoolwork and a burgeoning crush uh-huh. at home, Tian and his parents communicate through the language of fairy tale stories that he borrows from the library. Um, with these stories, he hopes to bridge the gap between the Vietnamese words he can't quite find to tell his parents the truth about who he is. Um, the power of stories is key as Tian and his parents traverse uh, growing up through the medium of books. Um, the fact that the magic fish holds uh, holds a powerful message that could change the life of those who read it uh, adds layers to uh, the particular thematic exploration. You know, um, this book could change a particular young gay boy's life in the same way that it changes Tian's life. You know, as he reads other books. Mm-hmm. Um, as children, we rarely heard loving and thoughtful stories about queerness or coming out. Uh, pretty much every story dripped with uh, trauma and unhappy endings. Or on the flip side, on on the Disney side, you know, just uh, straight heterosexual happy endings. Yeah. Um, the Magic Fish offers readers happiness and magic while still feeling completely authentic and real, um, especially, you know, from the Southeast Asian context for us. It is, it's hard to put into words how well Le Nguyen translates 
um, uh, his, his skills as an illustrator to uh, to long form sequential storytelling, you mm-hmm. know, um, to mold the multiple stories, both fantastical and intimately familial, around Tian's journey of self discovery, requires a deft hand, and it's a talent that Leng Yuan clearly showcases. Uh, the Magic Fish uh, moved me to tears multiple times uh, upon my first reading, uh, not just by Tian's story, which is the heart of the book, but also his mother's story. Um, Leng Yuan gives her a rare whole arc that brings an extra layer of complexity and nuance to the tale. So it's not just about the boy, it's about the mother too. Um, then there are the emotive fairy tales that surround the real world and, and the immersive prettiness of, of uh, the artist's art. Uh, the Magic Fish is truly stunning. It's, it's a book that doesn't look or read like anything else. And it tells a, a vital and powerful story with an unexpectedly light and charming touch. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's an 8 out of 10. You can buy it at Kinokunia if you're in Singapore or order it on Amazon or you know, go to your local comic book store to get this. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, highly recommended that you read uh, The Magic Fish. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely putting that down. That sounds great. Nice, yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, let's cover what we are going to do uh, next month. Boy, uh, December <laughs> is going to be a mad packed month, particularly because there are two major uh, big blockbuster movies that are being released on Christmas Day uh-huh. on HBO Max and on Disney+. Plus. Uh, firstly, it's Soul, uh, Pixar's highly anticipated new animated film about you know, the jazz pianist who, who goes to the afterlife. Uh, there is also Wonder Woman 1984 being released on HBO Max on, on December 25th. So two big Christmas Day specials that we'll be covering. Uh, plus there is, you know, The Mandalorian, which which caps off its season uh, in December. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be talking about the latest se- season of uh, Big Mouth as well. Uh, and there's a there's a movie that I particularly want uh, I start to watch. It's an, it's an Irish uh, animated movie called Wolf Walkers, which you know I'll be, I'll be passing along to him shortly. Um, that is, I feel like one of the best movies of the year, animated or not. Uh, so yeah, will be those are our big topics. Uh, you know, Mandalorian, Wonder Woman, Soul, um, Big Mouth. These are huge titles, yeah. man. Is yeah. is Wonder Woman confirmed? Wonder Woman is confirmed for HBO Max. Okay. It will be released simultaneously on HBO Max and theaters, uh, which is making um film distributors extremely angry. Oh. Because you know you could yeah. you have, have have the option of watching it online, yeah. but you know the other option is just pushing it back another year in the same way like Dune has been pushed back to December twenty twenty two, right? So like Wonder Woman has decided to not do that, you know. Um, so it's interesting. This is the first real big blockbuster that is going to go through, uh, VOD, uh, or, or streaming. Um, yeah, I mean they they have released some movies, you know, but mostly they've been animated. Mostly they've been like. Nothing like this, and nothing to the scale of Wonder Woman. Yeah, right. That 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 will be released on streaming. So it's an interesting um, experiment. I wonder whether it will work. I'm sure it will. Uh, I think know, so. there's a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype around 1984, and I I'm sure HBO Max will get like a ton of uh, new subscribers because of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, just okay. What what blockbusters have we had released on 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 VOD? Mulan, mm. I guess. Mulan, Mulan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So Ten- Tenant was cinema only, right? Yeah. 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 So we'll see. We'll see. I mean, like people, um, the industry is just trying always and means to see what works and what sticks. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a fairly bold move to do both at the same time. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll see. I mean, it could swing in either either direction, really. Definitely, man. Yeah. Uh. So lots to talk about. Mando, Wonder Woman, and Eighty Four, Soul, Wolf Walkers, yeah. Big Mouth. Uh. And 
Those are just our main topics, man. Uh, anyways, I uh, will catch you next month and we'll be back next week for a new episode of Behold where we'll be talking about some of our favourite uh, new shows, whether it be online shows or, or, or streaming shows or TV shows uh, that have popped up uh, in 2020. Yep. Uh, so till next time, this is Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Goodbye, guys. Ciao.